This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Naz, uh, you're proudly, you got thumbs up. To those of us, to those of you watching us uh, live video streaming at www.zoomerradio.ca. Oh, what a feeling. And Naz got his thumbs up. He's got his Raptors cap, and he's all excited this morning. But uh, it's going to be a big show today. Uh, we've got Butch Carter coming on uh, shortly after the first break. Uh, talk some uh, Raptors. Uh, bottom of the hour, John Steinbretter, uh, one of the golf's great uh, great writers, uh, is going to be talking about the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, but first of all, before we uh, before we start off with the sports talk, uh, to all the fathers out there, have a fantastic Father's Day. Uh, happy Father's Day to you, Naz. You too, Wally. Thank you so much. Uh, always take this opportunity on Father's Day to uh, reminisce about uh, a fine man that I used to enjoy uh, watching hockey with, that we used to enjoy watching hockey with. I'm talking about Nez's father. It's Tommaso, right? Tommaso. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, it was, uh, he's a, the ultimate Leafs fan, with all due respect to Mike Wilson. He's a Toronto Wilson. fan, too. He's a, he Toronto, a Toronto fan, too. He, yeah. He really loved the Raptors win. And, and uh, certainly, certainly uh, tr- some tremendously fond memories of watching sports in, uh, in your place, uh, your family room, your basement, Naz. We had a lot of fun when we were younger. And uh, those are the mid-1970s Leafs with uh, Sittler and Pyramid Lanny and, and all those guys. Yeah. And uh, uh, so when I think of Father's Day and I uh, got you sitting be- uh across the table from me it certainly brings back memories and once again to all the fathers out there have a spectacular day um just a little announcement uh before we go on uh this will be the last naz and wally sports hour for this season uh God willing, and uh, we certainly hope to be back in September. Uh, we're going to take a little hiatus for the summer. I call it a well-earned break, Naz. We've been going at it strong for five years and a bit, and it's time to, it's time to recharge the batteries. And uh, like I said, we uh, we hope to be back uh, early in September. Uh, at that point, we'll call it the Naz and Wally Sports Hour 2.0. Beautiful. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a, a fantastic uh, five years for us on the air. We've been we've never never taken a Sunday off. Um, we've been doing the show straight with it without a break. It's time for a break, and uh, we've had some interesting shows. And you know, when we first came on the air, Naz, there's uh, three things I said I wanted to see. Uh, in my in in my days uh, sporting accomplishments that I wanted to see I wanted number one was always I wanted to see the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup again 
wanted to see Italy win the World Cup of Soccer, and I wanted to see Notre Dame win another football national championship. Uh, uh, I, if they had uh, taken me to my top five, I probably would have gone to say the the Toronto Raptors uh, uh, winning the NBA Finals. That would probably would have been fourth or uh, fifth on my list. Uh, but we got it, and uh, uh, remarkable, remarkable. Um, spring for the Toronto Raptors. It was up and down, culminating in a Game 6 win in Oakland. Uh, we, uh, yeah, what a, what, a, what a parade it's going to be tomorrow. What a celebration it's going to be. Uh, Naz, uh, give you an opportunity. The, the parade starts near here. Lakeshore. Right? Yeah, right across the street from the studio here. Yeah. We're in Liberty Village. Uh, but uh, your thoughts, Naz? Well, it was a well-deserved victory because the Raptors deserved to win the, the title, and they were really, really good. I, I said this during the season. They had the in the old Rocky movie, The Eye of the Tiger, and they had The Eye of the Tiger. They weren't going to be stopped. They were physically they physically dominated Golden State, which I was surprised at. It turns out Philly may have been the toughest test because how physical they were, but the Raptors were tough as nails. Well, you know what, and and, and it's uh, it's all about matchups. Uh, playoffs is all about matchups, and it's all about coaches making adjustments. And um, you know, the key is make it to the playoffs. And the higher seed you are, the better. Yeah. Um, and if you make it to the playoffs, anything can happen. Just ask the St. Louis Blues. Uh, talk about a story that uh, we, we we probably didn't with all the with all the Raptor hoopla and mania in Toronto. We probably didn't talk about the St. Louis Blues and what they accomplished all that much. But I think the point is, you make the playoffs, and anything can happen. And in the playoffs, it all depends on you know it depends on matchups, yeah. depends on coaching strategies, and. Uh, you know, the Raptors um, did what they had to do, but they didn't, you know, they are NBA champions, well-deserved NBA champions. Give all the credit. You know, at various times you during a season, you can criticize, you can micromanage, you can pick out a game here and there. You can say, why did he make that coaching decision or why did that player have such a lousy game? Kyle Lowry, zero points in, uh, I think it was the, was it the first game against Philly or the first game against Orlando? I, I can't remember now. It seems like Orlando, ancient history Orlando. now. You know, you can, you can micro criticize uh, individual performances in one game, but when you take the over, overall perspective, wow, the accomplishments of the Toronto Raptors this year. And, we, you know, we're going to talk to Butch, Butch about it very, very shortly. Um, you know, at the end, they did what they had to do, and they got better, and they got better. And that's, you know, Stanley Cup champions, NBA Finals champions, they get better as the playoffs progress. And you, and you can't win without a bench. And you, and you, you gotta, can't win, you can't you can't win, win without, without a bench. bench. And you have to fight adversity. And the Raptors, you know, lousy, lousy game against Orlando game one. And we all got excited and all, you know. They're choking again. We're, and, we, you know, the usual stuff comes out. And sometimes, you know, we got to be self-critical too, Ness. Sometimes we get uh, we get over, over exuberant about one bad game or whatever. But I, I think I've been consistent in my theme. Uh, throughout, say we can't micro analyze on one game. We, you know, you know, you're going to lose a game here and there. You're going to have a bad performance here and there. But in retrospect, um, you know, Nick Nurse took some criticism at various times, but 
you know, the art, you know, he let's let's say he outcoached Steve Kerr, one of the legendary NBA coaches. Or if, if you don't want to if you don't want to jump to that conclusion, you can reasonably say he made some really good moves, got criticized for a couple of moves in game five, but came back in game six. Uh, and that, and that's the one thing I'll remember about this Raptors team is there in the playoffs is there was their ability to bounce back. Um, they had, they, they had bad games and bad performances from game to game, got themselves in a hole against Milwaukee. They were, they were right on the cusp of being knocked out. You know, you're in double overtime, game three, down two zip. You lose that game. You're done. Um, and, but they fought back and, uh, you know, took a couple of hits from Golden State, fought back. Nick Nurse fought back. Kyle Lowry, what an outstanding performance. 11 points. You know, the much, the, the much maligned Kyle Lowry at various times, uh, put the, strapped the team to his back in the, in the first half of, of game six. Um, can't forget Kawhi Leonard. and Fred Van Vliet. Where did that come from? Game three. Fred Van Vliet Started actually on the got of his baby. Yeah, uh, I think it was in the in the Philadelphia series. I mean, we were we were fairly critical, and you know, like, at times he looked like lost out there. Um, at times, uh, but man, what a performance against the Golden State Warriors! And enough, Yubi Brown. Uh, Although I, I think Yubi's a little bit over the top, voted Fred Van Fleet yeah, as the most vote. valuable yeah. player. I mean, Kawhi Leonard got all the votes except for one vote that went to Fred Van Vliet. Pascal and Siakam I, played 46 minutes in the last game, Wally. Yeah. 46. It just, uh, and let's, uh, this would probably be an opportune time to go to break because uh, we want to keep the Raptors talk going for a bit. And we've got Butch Carter on the line to our, our listeners. Uh, we've got a couple of Pizzaville gift coupons we're going to give away during the show. Um, so keep your fingers handy next to your phones. $50 gift coupons, Pizzaville. They're always hot items. At some point in the show, we'll be giving out the numbers to call in. We'll be right back with former Raptors coach Butch Carter. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian if you like a sausage. You can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language. No matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636 or visit pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. 
This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour this morning, former Raptors coach Butch Carter. Butch, how are you this morning, my friend? Good. How are you guys doing? Happy Father's Day to everyone and your listening audience. Thanks so much, Butch, and happy Father's Day to you as well. Uh, Butch, we're, uh, put it in words for us, um, one of the most significant victories in Toronto sports history, uh, arguably perhaps the most significant uh, from a non-sporting perspective. But uh, give us your thoughts um, uh, when that final whistle went and the Toronto Raptors were NBA champions. What did it mean to you? Well, I could let all the air out of the balloon and... Uh, on my to-do list before I leave this earth, that big box of uh, the Raptors being a champion, as I've tried to tell people the last 23 years that I've been up here, that they should be. I I was uh, totally relieved, and I was happy for so many people who have uh, toiled uh, to help the Raptors get to where they got to. Uh, A lot of people still in the front office, um, in the working office, just long-time Raptors fans, a uh, guy announcer like Paul Jones, uh, who grew up here, and it's so important to him, does the uh, radio for uh, TSN and Rogers. Just guys that, uh, male and female, that have toiled and paid the price behind the scenes to uh, help the franchise grow. And it was it was also awesome that three or four days building up to when they were going to finally win it to see across Canada the unity that the Raptors were bringing amongst all Canadians. Uh, when you looked at the Jurassic Parks that were being set up initially in the GTA area, then they start popping up in in Montreal and out west. Uh, I just thought it was an unbelievable unifying moment. And uh, a long time ago, a guy named Pierre Trudeau uh, decided to grow Canada through immigration. And basketball was one of the sports that the immigrants loved. And it's just worked out so well for everyone. I think all Canadians should be proud. And when they want to, and they're in the United States, they can tell them they're a Raptors fan. But they seem to be a no-give-up type of a team. They uh, they had the old Rocky movie, uh, Eye of the Tiger. That's what I found. How about you? Uh, they're, they're just, uh, they got help from somebody whenever they needed it. If it was Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Fleet, you know, they just got the, the help that they needed. Uh, Danny Green did not play well except for one game in Oakland where he made the six threes, and it was a game changer. So they got the help from where they needed. I thought at the end, Kawhi was just exhausted. Uh, Kyle Lowry shooting in the first half. They got him off to a good start. They won the first quarter. 
um, in a critical game. And at the end of the day, everything just piled up the right way for them. They are just uh, very mentally tough. And when you take a team that's won 22 games on the road in the Western Conference in a regular season, you should know that they feel very good about playing out West. And they were just extremely tough-minded. They overcame everything. A mistake was a mistake. They didn't carry the mistake with them into the next day. Um, they're just a very mature, uh, competitive group, and that's kind of what you need. And um, for me, it was a really a double win. Uh, one of my high school classmates, Jim Cooper, is a minority owner in the St. Louis Blues, <laughs> and uh, the Blues win <clears throat> the ultimate hockey trophy, and uh, and the Raptors. Uh, tell the United States that they're king of the hill in a sport that a Canadian invented. Uh, we're talking to Butch. Butch, um, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and I wouldn't, I would not have anticipated this and, and I'm still trying to grasp um, where it came from. Um, it's remarkable how there was this outpouring of, I don't want to call it affection support across the entire country. It was just like, it all bloomed at the same time, and it's it's a phenomenon I've never ever ever seen uh, in Canadian professional sports. You know, the only equivalent I you know the, the Canadian national team sports, the national hockey team, 1972. Uh, the phenomenon of Canadians, uh, not just in you know I understand the Toronto perspective, uh, fine the Blue Jays whatever. But this this phenomenon across the entire country, uh, you know, you look at Montreal and the hundreds of thousands of people uh, celebrating Vancouver, Saskatoon, you name it. And people are out in the streets celebrating a victory in a in, in a in a professional sports league that's dominated by Americans. Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm sure the sociologists, professors in, in all the universities are going to try to figure this out. Did you see this coming? I always said this is what it was. I, you, you got to remember, I'm the guy that, that had to sit and argue with this knucklehead Petty about putting Toronto on the jersey instead of Raptors. Now, someone comes along later and says, We the North. And the We the North basically said, Let's capture. You know, there's been a lot of seeds planted. They play in Vancouver. They play in Montreal. You know, and, and people, we've been told forever, some people up here have said forever, you know, oh, basketball's a secondary sport. You know, I mean, what MLSC did with, with their advertising on We the North and the campaign where they play the exhibition games out west, you know, they basically made the team the country's team. And, you know, there's, we're, Toronto, we're so much better off. The Raptors are... We have a population of 35 million to market to. No basketball team in the NBA has 35 million to market to. You look at the TV ratings. At some point during the game, 8 million Canadians tuned in to the game. And those aren't counting the ones that were standing outside. <laughs> so, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, momentum. When you get momentum in a sports franchise, it's one of the most awesome things in the world. And I think it will... It will last forever. I don't know if, you know, when or ever in our lifetime, Walter, will see another championship unless Kawhi comes back. But I just believe that it was, I was like everyone else, that 
the impossible in which we were told by a lot of people, um, the hockey people protect their space with, as sacred ground. Uh, the Americans, you know, Paul Pierce saying we didn't have it. Um, I just think it was the ability for the Canadians to stand up for who they are and what they are. And there was enough of them who did it. And everyone's been affected in a positive way. Like I said to you, I mean, I, I go in the hardware store and the guy's like, you know, are you going to watch the game? You know, and, and these guys are a lot older than me. And I don't imagine they ever watched, you know, basketball. But, you know, guys who never had basketball touched their life were staying and watching the game because they had something that they could be proud of. And I think that's what something you can be proud of and share at work. And, uh, you know, it's been a great integrator of people. And that's what basketball should do. That's what sports should do. It should integrate people, all kinds of people, young, old. Um, and I just think that all of people who gave it a chance uh, wanted to celebrate. And I'm glad the Raptors closed it out against Golden State so they could celebrate. Uh, concerning injury in uh, game uh, games five with uh, the um, well, well, Durant, Durant, Durant injury, Kevin Durant. Yeah, I, I believe. I said he would never play because he never sat on the bench. When you don't sit on the bench in NFL or NBA, that means that your injury is so severe, they feel you wouldn't be able to get out of the way if someone came your way. So he didn't sit on the bench. He had a partially torn. Uh, they covered it up with the hockey analogy of lower body injury, but I believe he had a partially torn Achilles. He went ahead and ripped the rest of it to try to help them win a game. They were playing very well when he was in the game. Um, they didn't deserve to win game five, but they did. You know, at the end of the day, Golden State, because of what Durant did, they've got to offer him the five year, $190 million max. Um, I don't believe he can get the super max because he wasn't, they don't have his rights for a super max, but he and Clay, uh, but there have been championships won before Naz with guys getting hurt. Uh, Byron Scott and, and Magic Johnson, um, pulled groin muscles, uh, and they lost one. Uh, Isaiah gets hurt. There are just there are games in which people get hurt, and it's unfortunate, but think of it. They're playing in over 100 games. They're under 110th game, and you can only stretch a rubber brand so far, guys. And year after year after year of these 100 games, the rubber band stretches too far. And look at the history Kawhi had more games, more playoffs than a lot of guys, and it caught up with him. It just does catch up with you. You hope that it wouldn't catch up with you in the playoffs, but it does, and history is very clear that championships have been won. There's no asterisk beside uh, what the Raptors did um, because there's no asterisk beside all the rest of the, of the prior champions. Uh, talking to Butch Carter, a couple, uh, couple of more questions. Butch, we've got to move on. Uh, yeah. Earth-shattering. Uh, news coming out of L.A. yesterday. Uh, I'm not so sure it's earth-shattering, but uh, it's uh, may turn a few things upside down. Anthony Davis going to the L.A. Lakers. What does that mean? Well, it just means they get a very talented player. You got to remember, Anthony Davis has not won many games in New Orleans. So being traded doesn't uh, mean that you're automatically going to become a winner. Yes, he is one of the outstanding talents, but Remember, he's a big, so the number of possessions he can be in is very limited. He doesn't guard wing players. 
and if you look at the scoring on the west, all the scoring is on the on the perimeter. So from Portland, Oklahoma City, Golden State, the scoring's on the perimeter. So you know he's basically, you know, in my opinion, he's a dinosaur being put into a system. And Frank Vogel's going to have to figure it out pretty quick because if he is not, LeBron's going to be breathing down his throat. LeBron is 33 years old, and they still could sign another max player. But they need another wing player. They did not lose anything by trading Ingram. It actually did them a favor. And if Alonzo can't, someone can't straighten out his shooting, they did him, they did him a favor also because it gets away from the distraction of his father. Um, the three draft picks won't be worth anything if the Lakers are winning. Um, and most people with those picks, when they, when they move around and change, they, they get stuck, uh, and won't draft the best player. You know, when you go back and look at the acquisition of Van Fleet and Siakam, those guys end up being in your top six players. One's not drafted at all. The other one's drafted late. Um, you know, all the pieces fell in place. And a lot of times for general managers and presidents, they don't fall in place because most of them don't know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, the Lakers will be the Lakers. The Lakers keep trying to sell the Lakers off their history instead of actually what they're doing. And as long as you're selling off your history, you're going to fail. Things have to get done. It's a grown man's league. Um, GMs want to make decisions in an office and then not take responsibility for them on the court. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to Masai. He made a lot of tough decisions. And he's a he's extremely alpha male. Uh, and it worked out. And it worked out for a whole country. Is this... Um you Jerry going to Washington, Butch? I, I don't think he's going to Washington. I think, you know, his agent is going to use Washington <laughs> as a counter to what Toronto having to redo Masai's contract. So, you know, if he does go to Washington, that would mean that someone said, you know, do we really have to pay the president of our team $10 million? Um, and they decide not to do it. Uh, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's his choice. Um, Washington is in a horrible situation, probably even worse than what Masai took over in Toronto. I believe Masai's wife is from Washington, um, but I believe he'll make a professional decision, uh, not based off of uh, of that alone. But you guys both know that sometimes when those other ten toes hit you, you have to change your mind about things. Um, but, uh, you know, I think from what I'm seeing, the inside reporter in Washington is saying there's no offer there. And uh, Masai's agent, uh, Warren Legary, is countered with um, the ESPN reporter saying, oh, there's a tremendous offer waiting. So, you know, I, I just believe they try to do this to say to get him involved with the Laker job. And uh, that firm had already screwed up the Lakers when they represented uh, Mitch Kupchuk and, and Jimmy Buss. So they couldn't get back in there. So I just think it's it's point counterpoint, and it will be what it is. Um, and he earned the right to be in that position. So you know, best of luck to him. Butch, the Pelicans trade uh, for Davis. They got a fourth pick in the draft. Three of them from the Lakers, right? Fourth pick is this pick. Do you see a flip with uh, the Knicks and uh, Barrett and Williamson playing together in New Orleans? I, I would. I would think they'll 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 ask 
the Knicks to do the flip. I know that R.J. Barrett was in New York for two days working out uh, this past week, um, working out, meeting people. Uh, the Knicks like him. Uh, personally, I do not like R.J. Barrett. Uh, if you look, you know, what we did was we went through uh, his eight games against the top four teams in the ACC. He was very ineffective in those games. Uh, he's a left-handed player that is, is failed, has failed on his development because he can't do anything with his right hand going right. Um, RJ, play, RJ Barrett is a good player. He is not a great athlete. Um, as I explained to the people I was talking to, the greatest wing player ever to ever play at Duke is Grant Hill. And RJ Barrett doesn't come close to Grant Hill as an athlete. And if you're going to be a wing player, you're going to have to guard athletes. Uh, RJ didn't guard anyone at Duke. Uh, it, it was a core reason why when we drafted Vince Carter over Antoine Jameson at North Carolina, I was able to prove to the staff that Antoine Jameson could not guard a wing player. He had no defensive position. Um, and when you have no defensive position and you're a young team, you get slaughtered by the officials. So, um, my advice, whoever gets R.J., uh, if they don't get him changed around in the first two summers, um, I understand that he is a nice young man and he is Canadian, but he is not. He is, would not be what I'm looking for um, because he wants to shoot up all the balls and not guard the best player at this stage of his career, and that would have to change. Now we're talking to Butch Carter. Butch, we got about 30 to 45 seconds before we go to break, and we can't let you go without asking you this. Kawhi Leonard is going to be in a Raptors. Is he going to be in a Raptors uniform next year? Well, I told someone a long time ago, the more they won, the less likely he would be there. I mean, Kawhi has delivered a championship to a country. I don't think people are going to be mad if he decides to go home. I understand we all want him back. Um, but you know, it's his it's his call. I think that he told San Antonio when he asked out he'd go wherever he went and play his best for one year, but he was headed he was headed home. Um, my gut feeling is that they'll make a decision uh, very privately. There won't be much discussion about it outside of who he speaks to in the office, him and his uncle Dennis Robertson. Uh, they have handled everything, I believe, very professionally. Uh, have done nothing but bring class and a trophy to Toronto. And again, they have earned the right um, to meet his obligation on his contract. I actually believe he exceeded his right on his contract. And when you have a player like Kawhi, whatever you pay him is not fair compensation, especially when you win a championship that goes across the country and people can't buy enough of gear. So... Uh, the gross revenue per seat for Maple Leaf Sports and Basketball is going to go through the roof. Um, there were rumors that they were netting $20 million a game on the Raptors home games. So he's earned the right. Um, and I would like, I would think this is what I know about Kawhi is that he has a commitment to help young kids like himself in Southern California. And the issue at the end of the day will be, will he feel that he can do that from playing in Toronto? I believe that's what it's going to boil down to. It's not going to boil down to money. I believe that he 
has a sincere interest in assisting and, and opening his own gym and helping kids in Southern California who came from an impoverished background, disadvantaged background like he did. And I believe that's in my heart. That's how what he'll make his decision on. And everybody throwing all this junk at him will not affect him at all. No different than um, the only thing that got him to dance was a trophy. And I'm so glad he got the trophy for the country and for the city of Toronto. Anyways, Butch, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we want to take the opportunity at this point, obviously, to uh, to thank you for all your contributions to our show uh, this year. Uh, it it turned into an incredible, incredible uh, ending, fairy tale ending, and uh, it's been a it's been a privilege to go along that ride with you during the entire year. Thanks so much, Butch. Thanks for having me, Walt. Thank you very much. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much, Butch Carter. We're going to go to break, Naz, and then uh, we're going to go from the hard court to the uh, to the green of the golf course, and we'll talk some U.S. Open golf. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty program, but some listeners thought I was saying royalty program. <clears throat> to be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However. After your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. And that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. And as promised earlier on the show, we've got some great Pizzaville gift coupons to give away. $50 each. Fantastic pizza from the good people at Pizzaville. Our phone number is 416-360-0740. Toll free, one 740 
four seven four zero Naz, those those pizza things go pretty quick. The phones light up before up. I can even get the numbers out. It's uh, like a Christmas tree. Here. Anyways, we're we're it's 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 U.S. Open Sunday, and it's uh, one of the most important days in the golf calendar. Uh, U.S. Open always seems to fall on Father's Day. I've got to ask uh, John Steinberg, but we're pleased to welcome back to the show one of the world's great golf writers, senior editor, senior writer for Global Golf Post, one of the great digital golf magazines in the world. We're always thrilled to have him on the show, John Steinberg. John, how are you this morning? Good morning. How's everyone? And happy Father's Day and uh, happy U.S. Open Sunday. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. And, uh, you know, I usually I usually plot out a bunch of questions I, I, I want to ask you, or certainly some areas I want to ask, and something just occurred to me just as I was introducing you. Uh, maybe you might have more of an historical perspective than I do. But, uh, as, uh, you know, it seems in my lifetime or since I can remember, the U.S. Open has always been on Father's Day. Uh, is... Is that always been like that, or is that just a recent occurrence? You know, I don't know if I would call it recent. I think in my lifetime, too, it's sort of always been like this. Uh, I I think there were times, you know, early on when it was held in, in different times of the year. But uh, in my recent memory, this has always been the weekend, uh, which is which I think is fantastic. It's um, it, It's a time of year that allows them to go to, courses and all all around the u.s all different climates uh you know there's been some talk a little bit about the pga now in may will that eliminate the ability to go to a kohler or an oak hill up in rochester or some of the more northern climbs but you know june's a june's a pretty uh good uh you know mid-june's a great time of year for uh, golf courses whether you're down in texas or whether you're up in uh in in the northeast or out in pebble beach so I really don't know. I just think it's, as far as I can remember, it's been on this uh, weekend, and I, I think it's a great time, and it works for everybody, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I hope they never change it. I doubt they will. I think it's locked in here and will be for as long as uh, we can imagine. U.S. Open Sunday, uh, one of the great golf venues in the world, uh, one of the most spectacular golf courses in the world. Uh, although, to be frank, John, some of the purists uh, might debate that, but uh, certainly some of the greatest vistas in the world, uh, Pebble Beach. Gary Woodland, Justin Rose, Roy McElroy, Brooks Koepka, um, Louis Oosthuizen, um, what do you see? What do you, what do you, uh, what do you see happening this afternoon? Well, it's it's pretty good leaderboard, isn't it? Uh, it's not that's not bad, and uh, I, I think it's been going great. Uh, kudos for the USGA for not losing their minds so far in this tournament and and overthinking the setup. I think it's playing well. It's it's playing fair. Uh, I like seeing you know ten, eleven under, eight under, nine under. I mean that's nice. You know I I want to see some birdies and. If you go off the fairways, we saw yesterday getting that rough, man. It's not it's not easy getting out of there. You saw, you know, Woodland, as strong a guy as he is, on a couple of occasions, just uh, you know, have a hell of a time getting out of that rough. So I, I think, you know, fasten your seatbelts for just a great uh, afternoon, evening of golf. Uh, the evening for us in our parts of the world. By the time they get those last groups make the turn and start coming home on the on the back nine, but. uh it should be fantastic. You know, my thinking is always uh, with these things that the person who's never won a major is going to feel the most pressure. So I think it's going to be very hard. We remember what happened to Dustin Johnson back in 2010 when I think he shot an 80 on the last day and, and got in trouble right from the start. And 
it'll be interesting to see how Woodland handles it. He's just playing brilliantly uh, with a lot of confidence, with a lot of verve and ease. Uh, but you've got you know Justin uh, Rose, you've got uh, Kepka, you've got Rory, you've got uh, Usti. I mean, there's a pretty good bunch right there, all of whom have won at least one, if not multiple majors, and all of whom have a lot of confidence. So I think it's Woodlands to win, but uh, he's going to feel pressure like he, I don't think he's ever felt before as he goes through this. And you got four or five guys behind him who uh, have experienced this pressure and know exactly what uh, today's going to bring. Uh, of course, uh, you made a really interesting comment that it just occurred to me. Uh, we're talking to John Steinbrider. Uh, is for the first time in recent memory, the USGA has not been part of the story. Uh, they've sort of stayed out of the headlines uh, this particular week. It's been a while because they come under constant criticism for course setup. And I guess when you're dealing with a place like Pebble Beach, uh, it, it's such a, it's such a masterpiece that you know nobody will allow you to tamper. with with it that much uh but pebble beach evokes uh evokes uh it's like it's one of the holy grails of golf uh it's up there with augusta and with saint andrews and uh if you're if you're a passionate golfer it's it's on everybody's bucket list of uh of places to golf and there's some incredible golf memories there too of course we're talking about tiger woods in 2000 where where he obliterated the field and the course uh, and of course there's I've, correct me if i'm wrong john your golf memory is probably better than mine but isn't that the infamous uh, tom watson jack nicholas uh, battle where uh, watson on 17 i think uh, holed out from off the off the green um, yeah, no, a- absolutely. I mean, it's. I described it in a preview uh, piece I did as America's golf course. Um, and by that, I mean it is a course that's hosted uh, multiple major championships. This is, this is its uh, fifth U.S. Open. It's had five U.S. Amateurs. It's going to have another Open in 27. It's had the Crosby since 1947. So... And it's a regular stop on the PGA Tour. So it's not only a course that the tour professionals are intimately familiar with, but it's also one as golf fans that we're intimately familiar with in ways that we're that familiar with Augusta. Even if you've never been there, you've tuned in to watch it year after year after year, so you know the holes. And it is also because you can go out and play it, it's probably the one major championship course that more people in America, in North America, have certainly played uh, more than any other uh, U.S. Open venue. So for all those reasons, um, you know, to me, it is America's golf course. It is not a golf links. They call it the Pebble Beach Golf Links, which is, um, once again, the, the word links being misused. It is not at all a length. And, you know, it's a, you know, I'd put it in the top 25 in America. I wouldn't put it in the top 10 in terms of overall architecture, uh, and, and just being a great design, but it is a, a really good golf course. The first few holes are kind of ho-hum, but man, those holes from number four through number 10 are as good a stretch of golf holes as there are in this earth. And I think 16 is a super hole and 17 and 18 are two of the best finishing holes in, in the world. And 18 was originally a par four and, uh, very early on before the, uh, the 29 U.S. Amateur out there got changed into a par five. And I, I think it's, it's just a great venue for this. And, yeah, you mentioned, you know, the tournaments that have been there. I mean, um, you know, Nicholas won a – in 61, Nicholas won a U.S. Amateur there. 
And then in 72 was the first time it had hosted a U.S. Open, which is kind of interesting. And I think that speaks to the isolation of the area. And, and, and it just took a while for the USGA to start going, going there. And Nicholas won in 72 and he hit that epic, um, one iron into 17 that hit the flagstick and left him a little tap in, uh, birdie there. And then Watson, of course, winning in 82, um, uh, in, in just the most formidable, uh, fashion with that great chip in on 17. So it's such a classic shot. And then, you know, Tom Kite, I believe it was in 92 with Kite when he, he shot, uh, 72 in the last day when it was howling. And then Tiger, of course, maybe the greatest major championship performance in our lifetimes ever, uh, even when he won by 15 shots in 2000 and just eviscerated the course, the field, and, and you know, just in the middle of his incredible dominance of the game of golf. So it really is a special place. It's a place we can all go play, albeit with a lot of, a lot of money down. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a place that works out well for a, a major championship like this. And, you know, I think what the USGA has learned finally is that, you know, that they just need to kind of work with the people out there. They uh, run tournaments here. They know how to set the place up and not try to overthink it too much. But Shinnecock is the same way. They know how to set that up when people Shinnecock do. And I think the USGA pushes them aside and, and often does that. And I think they finally asked for help and gotten help and not tried to overthink it. And what we're getting right now is what we really wanted, which is a, a great golf competition and the golfers being the story, not the golf course. John, who comes off the pace to challenge uh, for the Gary Wood done today? Uh, I, I got to think, you know, I love Kepka so much. I really do. I've never met the guy. I've never talked to him. I think he has been so overlooked and, and sort of so, abused from a lack of publicity standpoint. I mean, I don't even think Fox had him in, in their promos for the uh, U.S. Open this year. Um, I remember, it was, I think it was last year, the Tour Championship in September, they didn't even have him come into the media center for an interview pre-tournament, as they often do with the top contenders. And I think he's actually fed off of this um, inattention to his greatness. I mean, he's won four of the last eight majors, for crying out loud. And, uh, so I really like Kepka's chances, as tough as it's going to be for somebody to win three U.S. Opens in a row. I think he's very, very um, – uh, I think he would love to do it, and I think he's a fierce competitor. And I think Justin Rose would be, you know, another guy. Uh, yeah, two obvious ones, very, you know, the two ones close by. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't – I think uh, Ustahosen, which I can never pronounce right. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, but – uh I think he's someone kind of to watch a little bit in the in the mix. Certainly, you know, uh, won a major championship has been has been in and around the hunt on Sundays before the Masters. Certainly, of course, um, and I think he'd be a good person to watch because I could see Woodland faltering a little bit in the first nine and and, and giving up a couple of strokes, and then it's um, and then it's going to be quite a competition. Uh, we've been talking to John Steinbrenner, John. Uh... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let go on the U.S. Open talk, but we're we're gonna we we don't want to let you go. Just one one last thing we'd like to bring up uh, before we go and, and on 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 golf topic. There may be something happening in the golf world today uh, that's of a huge impact to Canadians, uh, and it's on it's on the women's side of the game. Brooke Henderson has a three-stroke lead in the LPGA tournament that's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and if she wins, uh-huh. t- if she wins today, she will become the most honored Canadian professional golfer in history. Uh, 
She currently is tied with eight uh, professional tour victories. She's tied with Sandra Post, George Knudsen, and Mike Weir. If she wins mm-hmm. today, she will become the most successful professional golfer in Canadian history. So we, we've got two rooting interests today. Well, I've got a rooting interest in that. I think she's a, a hell of a golfer, and uh, that's great stuff. I did not know that. I love any time we can have a conversation and mention George Newton. I, I, I always <laughs> enjoy that. I'm surprised he didn't win more than eight because uh, he was really one of the great golfers. I remember growing up as a kid uh, watching him, and I, I just thought he was a spectacular golfer. So uh, that's great stuff, and good luck on on that to Brooke, she's a great player, and that would be a fantastic win for her. She can pull it off. Yeah, I always love chatting about George Newton myself. Uh, George uh, George was an assistant pro at a local course here, and when I was uh, about eight or nine years old, we got I got the opportunity to shag balls for George Newton at Oakdale Golf and Country Club, and it was an honor and a privilege that uh, he granted to a whole bunch of young caddies in those days. So, yeah, you got a chance to talk about George Newton, and I did today. Certainly, great memories there. If he could putt, he'd be. He would have been dangerous. <laughs> Anyways, John, you know how much uh, we love having you on the show. We know how much uh, we love uh, sharing our passion for golf together. And uh, it's always a privilege talking to you on a major championship Sunday. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, guys. It was uh, great fun as always, a great tradition for us. And uh, we'll have some fun this afternoon or evening. This is going to be a great finish and uh, a good tournament. We're looking forward to it. Look forward to it. John Steinberg. Thanks Cheers. so much, John. Cheers. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Last week I went to the Canadian Open and I witnessed a 61 by McIlroy. <laughs> he looked like he was going to shoot 58. Walt. Yeah, he was incredible. Uh, yeah, incredible. He's, he was on. He certainly was on fire. And uh, what'd you think of Hamilton? I know you, nice you course. and your, you and Matt were down yeah, at the Canadian Open nice, last Sunday. Yeah. Very nice course, and uh, they had uh, record crowds which I was surprised at. Well, it's great to have the Canadian Open in June again. Uh, it was sort of got lost in the calendar um, in September. Uh, so we've the Canadian Open's gone back to its roots, where we always, uh, Canadian Open always used to be in June, used to be prior to the, uh, prior to or immediately after. I, I can't recall exactly. It may have floated back and forth, but it used to be a June tournament in the old days. Um, and we used to get the world's greatest golfers up here. I mean, the interesting stat about Jack Nicholas, he never won the Canadian Open, but he finished second seven, seven, times. seven times. And if you ask him, if you ask him, he he will say the one tournament that he regrets never winning was was the Canadian Open, and, and he, I, he was the one who built Glen Abbey, right? And he built Glen Abbey, and you know Glen Abbey fulfilled its purpose. And uh, I certainly don't want to at this on, on on today to be critical of Glen Abbey. It's can't say it's it's my favorite golf course, um, but um, you know it's it's a good thing that we're moving the Canadian Open again around the country as much as we can. Uh, next year at St. George's, um, Hamilton, you know, there's some great courses in Vancouver. They've gone to Shaughnessy, uh, Royal Montreal. Uh, it's a national open. It really should be taken to <laughs> golf fans around the country. If they can find a, a Canadian Open worthy site in Alberta, that would be fantastic. Um, Western Canada, you know, deserves a Canadian national open. Uh, if there's a facility in Eastern Canada that, you know, the biggest issue with these things is logistics. It's not easy to throw a PGA tournament. You need, you need land. You need land for parking. You got to get people in and out of the course. You need hospitality tents. You need a lot of land. 
uh, and you need spectator venues. Some of the older courses, it's very difficult because they're tree lined and there's not there's not the greatest places for spectators. Fifteen minute drive from here, St. George's. Yeah, it would be great. So looking forward to the Canadian Open. At uh, I'm pretty sure it's 2020. If uh, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 2020. Now, so we've got five minutes left on the show. Four minutes, actually. Um, like I said, I wanted to remind our listeners. Naz and I are taking a much earned break for the summer. This will be our last show. Um, Hopefully we'll be back. We're looking forward to uh, be coming back in September. Uh, catch up. I, uh, you know, I always said I wanted to be on the air when the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. So this is the year. We got one year left. Go Leafs! Go. Uh, we haven't accomplished that goal yet. Uh, we accomplished the goal of being on the air when the Toronto Raptors uh, won the NBA Finals, and uh, to a certain extent, that really hasn't sunk in yet. It's it's. It, it's it, it's a remarkable accomplishment. Uh, I'm not so sure we would have predicted it with any great amount of certainty after the play, uh, when the playoffs started. Um, we knew the Raptors had a had a good team. Um, Kawhi Leonard obviously took his game uh, to uh, uh, a level where he was the best player in the game for the last two, two months. months yeah. um, remarkable accomplishments by Kawhi. You know the the supporting cast, and as we said, you know it's it's like the NHL. Um, you know your third and fourth liners have to step up, and certainly Siakam, Ibaka, Gasol, most of the time, uh, these guys stepped up. I mean, they uh, they literally played like champions, and give them all the credit in the world. And Nick Nurse, Masai Ujiri, you talk about Masai Ujiri. We I mean we talked about the Raptors early in the show. We really didn't get a chance to talk about him all that much, and. Uh, you know, he uh, he uh, rolled the dice uh, in so many ways this year, and it seems like every move he made, um, it paid off at the end. I mean, if he thought when he was making those moves, um, if he envisioned uh, exactly how it was going to, you know, my gut tells me he must have been a little bit surprised. Not not necessarily that they won a championship, but that all of his moves paid off. But I mean, it's, he's like he's like an oracle. I mean, you know, Oracle, <laughs> Arena. oracle Arena. It's interesting. They won. They won all well, three. All three games. games, games one, but I mean, Masayu Jury, the ultimate oracle and sage. I mean, just think about the moves that he made this year, and they all in the end they all worked out. Wally, you have to roll the dice. Anthopoulos did it here with the Blue Jays, and it almost got them the win. Your jury did it with the Raptors, and they won the championship. The Yankees just signed. I uh, got Edward Encarnacion from Seattle. What a trade for them! They they want, they're going for it. You need to go for it to win it, and I have to give the Raptors credit for doing that. Oh, absolutely! You know, Masai, uh, the Kawhi trade. I mean, as soon as that trade was made, you know, he's taken a lot of heat. Um, not on this show. So I specifically no. remember having that discussion after that night. And and we and weren't I, happy at I all. Said, I said, you know, you, you brought in one of the best players in the NBA. And if it's, if it's only for one year, you knew, you sort of knew you weren't going to win a championship. And with all, with the greatest of respect for DeMar Rosen, and I'm not, I'm not here to criticize, uh, his achievements with the Toronto Raptors. And none of this is meant as a criticism towards him. Um, but it seemed like the team had gotten stagnant and that with the existing cast, uh, they couldn't take it to another level. Masai comes in and it just, that trade was staggering when it was announced. Said, why would San Antonio trade one of the best players in the league 
Um, and look what happened almost a year later. Uh, the Marcus all trade, Valentin, like Masai Ujiri was willing to trade two of the most popular athletes, two of the most popular basketball players. Jonas Valanciunas, who was beloved in this city, people loved him. DeMar DeRozan, people loved him. Masai Ujiri traded them, and he knew he the criticism he was going to get. But he stood up, and he and he said, these are the best moves for the team. Man, you got to give him so much credit. Well, it's going to be a hell of a parade tomorrow, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we figure a million to two million, Wally? Well, uh, I would say anywhere from a million to you. You are using the number three million. That seems on the, I mean, that means uh, that means almost nobody will be working tomorrow. For a few uh, hours, probably not. I, I'd, I'd put the number probably around. I mean, it is winding its way through downtown Toronto, and I'm getting the sign. Unfortunately, we've got to leave, Naz. Last word. See you in September, folks. See you in September. Thanks to, to all of our listeners for supporting us. It's been it's been a great ride. And uh, as we say, we hope to be back in September. We'll see you then. Bye. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.